Do sit down. Okay, Mikey and Benny are going to come and read Psalm 23 together. Are we good to go? Psalm 23 is a well-known passage from the Bible that talks about God being a shepherd who takes care of his people. The passage starts off by saying that God provides everything that we need, like food and water. He makes us feel peaceful and rested even in difficult times. When we are scared or going through tough times, God is there to comfort and protect us. He guides us on the right path and gives us the strength to keep going even when things seem impossible. The psalm ends by saying that God's love and kindness will always be with us and we will live with him forever. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, now we have the two daughters. Which daughter goes first? We have a little debate, and Rose is going to come up first. Am I on? Yes, I am. Okay. <laughs> uh, hi, everyone. So, yes, I'm Rose, um, Celine's daughter. Um, I've spent so much time over the last few weeks thinking about mum, crying about her, and laughing about things she said, did, and her little quirks. Um, but first, I thought it would be a good thing to give a little, just a little timeline of mum's key moments in life to keep us all in the loop. And I've written that, and then I had to change it on my phone, and I haven't got it on here. So it's going by memory, guys. <laughs> um, so mum was born on the 13th of September, 1964, in Addington, Kent. Granny, stop me if I'm wrong. <laughs> or granddad, stop me if I'm wrong. <laughs> um, so she grew up in a few different areas, um, and she settled in Martin for a while, which she loved. Um, in 1983, she went to, to college in Kent, and there she became a Christian and has been passionately sharing her grace and love for Jesus ever since, and more importantly, his grace and his love for her. Um, she worked, so a few things that mum did in her life, she worked as a dresser in the, rest, in the West End for a little while. Uh, she moved to a little town called Shepparton, uh, met Dave, um, who's my dad, got married and had two beautiful girls. Mum's words, not mine, guys. It's all good. <laughs> she worked in a Christian coffee shop for a while called Oasis. Um, and then she became a childminder, um, which she did for a number of years, and she loved it. Um, she also worked, then she worked as a domiciliary community carer, um, which I'm assuming she also loved again, as she loved chatting with people. Um, before having her fourth brain hemorrhage in 2005 and given up paid work. However, she did still volunteer for years in charity shops and also at her church, Jubilee Church Shepparton. 
Uh, so, life growing up with mum has never been boring. Um, she always had an amazing imagination and some of my best childhood memories, <laughs> sorry everybody, <laughs> are because of her ability to inspire mine and Poppy's imagination. So here's one memory that stands out. So we used to drive to school every day and back, and um, we'd do the same short walk past houses to the school gates and, and back pretty much every single day. Um, so one day, me, Poppy, and Mum noticed a, a little cubby hole in the wall of a house. Um, it was kind of semi-circled on the, on the floor and very Tom and Jerry mouse hole-esque. You know the style I'm talking about. Um, whether or not Mum pointed it out, I don't remember, but Poppy and I, must were firmly convinced that it was a mouse hole. Later in life, it was a drain pipe, but I, yeah, <laughs> you know when you're young. Um, and we must have spent the rest of the walk discussing the mouse, the little mouse that might have lived there, you know, what was he up to, what was his life? Um, and mum, of course, encouraged this. And lo and behold, a couple of days later, when we were walking home, what did we see? in the mouse hole. Um, a little note in a miniature envelope written by the mouse in the drain pipe. Um, we were so excited and we raced home to write a letter back, uh, which we delivered back to where we found the, the letter the very next day. Uh, when we returned after a long, hard day at school, the letter was gone again. <laughs> we could only assume that this mouse had read our letter and was busily crafting his reply to us. Over the next few weeks, we kept writing and the mouse kept replying until the final day of school when the friendly mouse informed us with a final letter that he was moving away. Um, but, <laughs> but he left us some treats in the cubby hole for us to eat. So it was the final day before the holidays and what a way to end the term. I, I just love that mum did that for us and the thought of her secretly writing notes popping them into this little cubby and seeing our faces light up. We genuinely believe this. Um, that must have just filled her with such joy. Um, and I also feel, as a, as a previous teacher myself, she could definitely give our teachers a run for their money in getting us to enjoy writing. <laughs> uh, she could also make a mundane job amazingly fun. Um, so one fun memory that me and my sister have is our after-dinner antics. Uh, Poppy, could you just pass me my water? Public speaking's, you know, drying of my hair. There we go, all better. So, um, one fun memory I have is our after-dinner antics. Mum would tell us in a stern, really stern voice, now girls, I'll be pottering in the kitchen. When I return to the dining room, I don't want to see anything cleared away. Do you understand? If I do, I'll have to chase you. So we'd reassure her that no clearing up would take place and then sneakily be tidying away plates, wiping the table, tidying up. <laughs> when she returned to a spotless table, she would be mock furious and as, as promised, a chase around the house would occur. Yes, it sometimes ended up with someone falling, stubbing their toe or tripping. But many laughs were had, and it never put us off playing again. And we played that so many times. Never got bored. <laughs> of course, when mum had her fourth brain hemorrhage, the running did have to stop. Um, otherwise, we would just win every time. 
Um, however, <laughs> as many of you know, she still found ways to play and have fun, such as name that film with an iconic film quote. And one time, <laughs> which I only remembered yesterday, I distinctly remember her pranking Dave Webb. Um, she had a plate of cakes uh, on, on her table, and um, she offered round this plate of cakes after a social at her house. Um, Dave took one and happily bit into it, and then started gagging and retching. Um, and it turned out that mum had popped a bath bomb soap cake onto the plate as a trick. <laughs> and <laughs> we all found it hilarious. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, Dave. <laughs> so one final story I have about mum, among many, but um, the one I wanted to share, is about just how unoffendable she was, especially in her later life. So since I had Isaac, um, mine and David's son, I used to love FaceTiming mum at least once a week to say hi. Um, and, all, and in all honesty, yes, I wanted her to meet Isaac, but I was also just looking for entertainment for Isaac. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, she would always greet us as if we hadn't chatted in ages with like, you know, Rose or, and, you know, really big smile and shouting our names. Sometimes I had to turn the volume right down to begin as I knew this would happen and sometimes had a sleeping baby on me. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I can't risk that. <laughs> so yeah, mum had a great sense of humour and didn't mind laughing at herself at all. Um, so here's my memory of, of that, how she used to laugh at herself a lot. A while ago, mum kept mentioning an outfit that she had for Isaac that she wanted, she really wanted to send over or get to us somehow. So she kept banging on about this outfit. So I was, we were really looking forward to a lovely, lovely modern garment for Isaac to pop him in. So lovely and modern and outfit, I would say, are the words here. So finally, one day after loads of faffing, of when am I gonna get this parcel to you? How am I gonna do it? Um, one day a parcel arrived. No name, no message, just, and I will show you, So, <laughs> so in all honesty, my first thoughts were, what, what was she thinking? And by the way, I just I wrote on here, if, if anyone thinks this looks lovely, sorry to offend you. And if you want it, <laughs> come and see me. <laughs> and I'll give it to you. <laughs> so I, I, I mentioned this, this sort of jaunty anecdote to a couple of friends who had come round one day. And they just suggested I take a photo of Isaac in it and just say thanks, you know, so as I think, you know, so as not to offend mum. However, I knew my mum and I knew she wouldn't be offended by me being truthful and not sugarcoating what I thought to her. So I told them I'd probably just be honest. And sure enough, when I FaceTimed her and told her thanks, but the garment was hideous, she laughed her wheezy, muttly laugh and completely saw the funny side. <laughs> In the last few years of mum's life, I really came to admire and appreciate her as a person. Determined to grow like Jesus, who she loved and trusted in. She learned to forgive wholeheartedly and completely. I always found myself having an interesting chat with her, despite her admirable policy of not speaking badly or reveling in gossip during, about others during conversations. Her mantra to me and my sister growing up was, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. And now I can imagine her going, what film was that from? <laughs> and three guesses, it was Bambi, by the way, just in case anyone didn't know. <laughs> Thumper the Rabbit, yeah, that's right. And that was Mum, 
So the majority of the time, she sought to compliment and big people up. The amount of times growing up that mum would waylay a waiter to sincerely compliment something about them or to ask them about their name or accent if they had one. If their first language wasn't English, she'd ask how to say thank you in their language so she could show her appreciation in their native tongue. I, as a teenager, would cringe and be sure that they'd look at her awkwardly and be backing away. <laughs> but, however, they never did. And instead, a warm smile would light up their face and they chat back to her very happily. It's only been in the last few years that I've realized those kind of interactions actually probably made people's days, and her uninhibited kindness and encouragement is something I would love to model to my son. Mum, in her final years of life, was one of the most content, peaceful, and joyful people I knew. This wasn't necessarily due to her circumstances all the time, but due to her complete trust in Jesus Christ. I will so miss Mum, the last we have had together over the years, her understated generosity that she didn't shout about, but it was just there, and her ability to apologize, forgive, and forget. The no-strings-attached kind of love that she gave to everyone. She just accepted, liked, and loved people as they were. I'm gutted that Isaac will not remember mum, <laughs> and that he didn't have more chances to be mesmerized by her games, songs, or stories. But I hope that he sees the best qualities of mum as she lives on in me. Bye for now, mum. I love you and thank you for being you. <laughs> Hi. Um, I'd just like to read a poem that I've written for mum. Sorry, here it starts. I don't know how to process the thoughts whirling in my brain, the space I feel in my heart knowing I won't see you again. To know we won't share another evening at your flat at 25B, singing old nostalgic tunes in the kitchen, attempting dreadful harmonies. A good meal, a chat, and perhaps a film, some would say mundane, but to me, these little everyday moments are precious all the same. Now what film does this quote come from? I'd often hear you ask as you reeled off your favorite movie lines from Goodwill Hunting or The Mask. Sometimes I brushed the question off, too busy, I didn't care, but I should have taken the time to play this game that you wanted to share. Your love and generosity was inspiring to say the least. Can I treat you to a coffee at Mokadee or to number four for an evening feast? The way you'd stop a stranger on the street almost every day to bless them with a compliment and with a smile send them on their way. Forgetful, yes, but brimming with love for all those who you knew. Your family, your friends, near and far, meant the world to you. Your capacity for forgiveness, I could never understand. All those who had wronged you welcomed back with an outstretched hand. Life can be unfair sometimes, you knew this more than most, but struggle on with contentment and peace until the last cup of tea and slice of toast. I'm sorry for all the things I've done that caused you sadness or sorrow. My regrets can't be undone, can't talk it through tomorrow. But, but though I'm sad, this reassurance gets me through the day that death had never scared you, your faith held you on your way. Now you're in a better place where worldly things don't matter. Scoffing lint chocolates all day with Jesus and never growing fatter. <laughs> <laughs> 
With new legs and arms, new everything, you'll be forever young, partying for eternity, the angels you're among. I know I didn't tell you enough, but please believe me, it's true. I'll finish by saying these last four words, Mum, I love you. got to get the right pages, a bit sticky. <laughs> well, thank you all for coming. Um, I think I've made a bit of a mistake here. I've uh, offered to say something, uh, but I didn't realise I was going to have to follow these girls who've kind of left me standing a little bit. But um, yeah, thank you for coming. I can't just say uh, I'm so sorry for your loss, because uh, I know she was a loss to all of us. Um, it's uh, said uh, in mythology that uh, your whole life flashes before your eyes just before you die, but I don't know, that sounds a bit fanciful to me, but um, one thing I'm sure of is that um, uh, your life flashes before the eyes of everybody who loved you. And uh, I know you're all sitting there with your own memories of Celine and you've got little um, anecdotes and things that she did in your life. Um, but um, um, I'd, like to, um, I'd like to just uh, give you just a few anecdotes that uh, I've got, just a few thoughts that um, happened to... Uh, uh, mowing Celine as myself. I only knew, I lived with her for 12 years, <laughs> a lot less than these two girls. Um, so um, I've got a few things here. Anyway, um, it seems a theme has developed here uh, today that um, we've got um, words which describe Celine very well. Um, and there'll be a cake to see later on, and you'll see some words that describe her. Um, but the first word that uh, came to my mind was uh, intrusive. Um, now, Intrusive in a good way, um, and this started really on the very first day that she was born, because she didn't just get born, she crushed my bro brother's third birthday party. Uh, Mum had arranged for some family friends and that to come over uh, for a little party with my brother uh, for his third birthday, and uh, people were coming to the door, and I was opening the door for them, and they said, oh, Stephen, where's, where's Mummy? I said, oh, she's just in the bedroom getting ready. No, she was in the bedroom having a baby. <laughs> and sure enough, Celine turned up. Uh, and basically uh, stole the whole show. Uh, it's strange, uh, being a five-year-old boy at the time, I, I kind of assumed that she would grow up to be my big sister. I always wanted a big sister, and uh, I hadn't kind of worked out at that point that it's not quite how it works. Um, anyway, another word, popular. She was so popular. Uh, I remember once as a, uh, when she was just uh, probably a one-year-old, um, probably not even that, um, Mum brought her to the front door for some reason, and I was playing in the front garden with all the other kids in the street, and I was having a great time. And then suddenly, all these kids just disappeared to talk to my sister and play with her. And I was just left with a ball, bouncing a ball. And I've seen her do this um, more recently. I remember her, her a few years ago at uh, a big function, and uh, she was just sitting somewhere uh, rather elegantly drunk. <laughs> And all these people kept coming up to her and just sitting around just to be entertained by my sister. Yeah, she's very popular. Uh, game, open brackets, for a laugh, close brackets. I remember once as a, a small child, um, it was, we, we were living in Addington, which was in Surrey, by the way, not Kent. But uh, yeah, it's, 
we were living in Addington, and it was a rough estate with rough kids all around. <laughs> and um, it's actually my brothers, some of my brother's friends, uh, they were playing in the street, and Steen was out there playing along, and they thought it would be funny to get some coal dust and black her face up. Now, it was funny, and she was so complicit with it, she was just absolutely game for it. And she was only, only uh, practically a toddler, really. And then they thought it was funny just to drag her around uh, from house to house, knocking on the doors, and so somebody opened the door and went, ta-da! And that was, that was Sleen. <laughs> and you can imagine it, can't you? Uh, unconventional. <laughs> um, when she was a little girl, she was like a normal little girl, and she had uh, a Barbie doll, she had her Barbie dolls. Uh, which were fine, uh, except she decided, uh, around probably six years old, that Barbie had to have a mate. And she hadn't heard of Ken at that time. So what does she do? What can she do? What can I do? I know. So she wrote her Christmas list and put Action Man on it. <laughs> so that was seen with her Barbie and Action Man gallivanting through her imagination. Barbie in high-heeled pink stilettos and an inane smile, action man with his combat boots, and eagle eyes. Uh, oh, stubborn. <laughs> okay, right. Um, one time, uh, Dad had to go off and uh, work away from home, so Mum took us for a holiday on the Isle of Wight. <laughs> and uh, we'd spent the whole day on the beach, so we were all tired, and we'd going off to get uh, back to the caravan. And uh, we'd stopped by a, a little... Um, uh, holiday gift shop on the way back and she had seen this little trinket box which was like a cheap plywood box covered in shells and varnished and she wanted it and she wanted it bad and of course to far more money than it was worth so mother said no you can't have it and that was it she would sulk then uh, a mega sulk but sulking for England and as we were walking back to the car she kind of sauntered about 30-40 yards behind and oh it's painful and um, we got back to the car, we got back to the car, we all got in the car, loaded it up, and finally she arrived at the car, where she got a jolly good thrashing, slung in the back of the car, and we all drove back to the caravan. But and she didn't cry, no, she just stony-faced, she wouldn't give in. And I remember thinking at the time, crikey, this is, this is tricky, mum's got 25 years on her, <laughs> and she's bigger, and she's in charge, and she's in danger of losing this battle. I thought, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to her family if, if mum loses a battle? Anyway, long story short, Selene eventually blinked first, and normal service was restored. But yeah, Selene, very stubborn, uh, passionate, uh, very passionate, um, and particularly about uh, chocolate, <laughs> you may have noticed. We made a mistake once when she came around. We made uh, the mistake of uh, leaving her home alone with the kids' Easter eggs. She was very sorry about that. <laughs> she, was, and she was staying with us one time in Biggin Hill. And we were walking from uh, our house up to our church building. And in the high street, uh, the uh, local Rotary Club, I think they called themselves the Lions, they'd brought this um, trailer uh, onto the pavement with books on it. I think they were doing something with books. And somebody had left on the wheel, uh, the uh, mudguard of this trailer, uh, a bounty bar. And half of it was gone. <laughs> and... Uh, and Obviously, she was concerned about this, so she, <laughs> so she picked the bounty bar up and said, excuse me, is this anybody, is this anybody? And somebody said, yes, it, it's mine. She said, oh, did you want this? <laughs> yeah, she, she, uh, I, I think she was possibly addicted, but when she was a little girl, I remember her sitting 
uh, with a glass of milk and a big bar of Cadbury, um, Cadbury's dairy cream milk. And that was, that was her afternoon's entertainment. Uh, unflappable. Um, she was staying with us one time, and uh, it was Lois's third birthday, I think, with a teddy cake. And uh, Julie, she, wasn't, she hadn't always been good at making cakes. On this uh, occasion, Lois decided she wanted a, a, a teddy bear birthday cake. Uh, she was still making it on the day. I'm not quite sure why, but anyway. And she was making this cake, and it wasn't working. It wasn't working bad. And out of sheer frustration, uh, Julie, my wife, she punched the cake <laughs> across the worktop. And the uh, sleen, usual unflappable sleen, she just went, leave it with me. So she took the cake pieces, which were all damaged and in, in a mess, put them into a bowl, stirred them up with some uh, uh, butter icing, and moulded it into the basic sort of rudimentary teddy cake, stuck some candles in. And when it was uh, happy birthday time, she brought the cake in, Lois blew them out, and she got it back out in the kitchen before the lights came on. But <laughs> she aced it. <coughs> we, uh, of course, had no idea how ill she was until her early 20s when she had her first um, brain hemorrhage. Uh, and um, she got over that one, and we all thought, oh, we dodged a bullet there. And then she had another one sometime later, and we got over that one. And then she had another one, and it was all getting a bit serious. And... Um, I just want to tell you this because it's sort of something ab about her imagination. Um, when she was in hospital with her last uh, um, hemorrhage, uh, her brain was quite sort of badly damaged. And she wasn't thinking straight. Into everything was like a dream to her. And she would say things. And we're just desperately trying to work out what she meant by that. And uh, Julie and I were sitting by her bed. What did she mean by that? And we're trying to work it out and interpret what she was saying for, you know, for her life. And then she said... When the surgeon comes with his probe, does he open up a vortex? <laughs> and, uh, oh, Celine, you've got us that one. <laughs> yeah, it was proper beat. But anyway, she recovered from that and um, carried on. Uh, a little worse for wear, but um, still the same old Celine. She was resilient. Uh, and after that event, um, obviously her life had somewhat collapsed like a, like a, a pile of Jenga. And she was at uh, our house uh, at Christmas time, and um, she was on her own, and there was all our other family there. And she was sitting next to me, and uh, I, just I was wondering, oh, I wonder how she's doing, because obviously it's a big thing for her. I wonder how she's doing. And I just sort of whispered to her, you're right. And she just heard, I just heard her say quietly to herself, keeping it together, keeping it together. And uh, I thought, Celine, you're just so tough. I've got, uh, there's no way I can compete with that. And kind, of course. Uh, Mum took us on a little holiday to Brixham uh, a few years ago. And uh, like Rose uh, said, she would ask people their names and ask them things. But um, <coughs> when people have brain injuries, sometimes they lose their filter, that little um, bit of gap, so they can just figure out, you know, should I be doing this, should I say this? And some people, when they lose their uh, filter, they uh, get nasty or they get uh, inappropriate or something. This is what Sneed did. Um, she would sort of just randomly walk up to people and say, oh, can I just say, and then at this point, th these people would look at her a bit, oh, what's this strange woman going to say to me? What's this going to And she would say, can I just say, your dress is absolutely gorgeous. And it would absolutely delight people's lives. And uh, I've never met anybody before who would just go around absolutely 
delighting people with their lives just by talking to them and saying something really nice. Uh, and I, I took a lesson from that, and um, I, li I like to try that myself from time to time. Not quite as, as blatantly as that, but anyway. Anyway, that's that's my uh, sister Celine. I'm going to leave it there. But um, what I would say is, uh, I said earlier on that um, she was. I always wanted a big sister, and somehow, some, I'm not quite sure how this has worked, but somehow she has grown up to become my big sister that I never really had. Uh, so, um, yes, that's my sister. Thank you very much. Yeah, so many of those stories were just sort of spring to life for me. She used to wander around our house and look at an object and say, do you want this? Seriously, so it'd be a lovely clock. Uh, do you mean a lovely? Uh, do you mean a lovely clock? And and she'd say, she'd say "Do you want this?" And and I would say to her, "Celine, yes, I do want it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Leave it alone. Otherwise, she would have popped it in her handbag and and strolled off quite merrily with it. And also, she had to, she was such a sucker for shells as well, wasn't she? Oh, she had the most hideous boxes with shells on them and uh, all sorts of shell tat, didn't she? which I think has gone down the local chaser or something, has it, has it been disposed of? Um, just a few uh, little thoughts, really, um, as we sort of begin to draw to a close. Um, it's a privilege for me to say a little, give a little talk, because Celine was a really, really dear friend of mine, and, and Ruth, we, we loved her to bits, and uh, we're very close to her. Uh, and um, I was just thinking as... as, as um, I was preparing, there's a scripture which says, be imitators of me just as I imitate Christ. That was Paul talking to the Corinthians. Uh, and uh, my message to us this morning is, be imitators of Celine just as she imitated Christ. Yeah, be imitators of Celine just as she imitated Christ. Three key areas, uh, which I'm just going to briefly talk about, um, in which she imitated him. Firstly, she loved Jesus completely with all of her heart, and she owned him completely, too. Uh, there's a, a, a letter that was written by John to uh, the churches in Revelation, in which, um, in which he rebukes one of the churches and said, you've lost your first love. Uh, consider the height from which you've fallen. And it sort of, sort of talks about the fact that, you know, Initial love is, is often very romantic and very gushy and very lovely. And then, and then, sadly, sometimes it grows cold, doesn't it? And as time goes on, things get a bit cooler and a bit cooler. And, and love can grow cold in a marriage. In fact, I'm really determined that for our marriage that doesn't happen. And I hope you are too as well, to keep love alive. Uh, but the crucial thing about Celine was she never lost her passion for Jesus. She never lost her first love, did she? She, she? she always remained totally committed to him and totally devoted. Yeah, and, and she also owned him. When it, wherever she was, she'd be talking about Jesus. Wherever, in Mokadee, at home, at our place, wh wherever uh, she would talk about him. In fact, we, at Oak Tree Cafe, we, we have a mental health dropping group on a Wednesday evening, and one of the standing rules at Oak Tree Cafe is please don't share your faith unless you know someone approaches you and asks you directly and the thinking is we wanted to provide a safe space for people to come along not to have religion rammed down their throat not to have jesus constantly thrown at them yeah that they could have a nice place where they could just be 
And every single week, Celine <laughs> broke that rule. Every week. Every week. Oh, can we open in prayer? No, Celine, we can't open in prayer. Can we do a little Bible study? No. No Bible study here, Celine. Every single week. And she, every week she'd play this wretched memory card thing. Yeah, oh, I forgot you told me last week. I, <laughs> I now don't believe her. <laughs> I think she was having me on, actually. I think, because suddenly in certain key areas she'd have a remarkably good memory. But with this, she'd always forget from week to week to week. And so I, I did smell a rat after a while. But I couldn't do anything about it. And so she would just carry on. She owned him completely. Secondly, and, and this has been mentioned before, do you mean her life was remarkably free of complaint, wasn't it? Remarkably. Do you mean I have, was dealt a far better lot in life and I, I seem to spend all my time complaining in my head <laughs> about all sorts of things. But Celine was remarkable in that regard. Philippians 2.14 says this, Do everything without complaining or arguing so that no one criticizes you for it. Live clean and innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright stars in a dark world. Yeah, do you mean, from my point of view, Celine was dealt a rubbish hand in life. She was bright, she was beautiful, she was vivacious. And those wretched brain hemorrhages absolutely, absolutely took her out. Uh, there's no two ways about it. And, and, and so hard and robbed her of so much. Robbed her of memory, robbed her of mobility, uh, robbed her of stability, robbed her of financial security. All, in my view, taken away quite unfairly. And did she ever complain about that? She didn't, did she? She was always full of joy, full of hope, full of love, positive, humorous, constantly praising God, constantly thanking him, yeah, and remarkably forgiving towards those who wronged her as well. Just extraordinary, yeah? Uh, and, uh, and so there's a song, isn't there, by Rihanna called Shine Bright Like a Diamond. <laughs> Celine shone bright like a diamond, didn't she? I was driving through Shepparton the other day and I was looking around and I was, I, I was thinking to myself, Shepparton has lost its sparkle. Shepparton has lost that specialness that I felt before. Why? Because it was missing a diamond. <laughs> and that diamond was Celine. No, no question, that diamond was Celine. She shone so brightly, shone so brightly in a dark sky. Uh, and um, finally, she genuinely cared for people in need. The number of people that she looked after in Shefton is absolutely extraordinary. In fact, a load of people will be missing her love, care, and attention. Yeah, she really cared for a huge, some of whom are here today and are missing her acutely. And I feel your pain because she was your anchor. She looked after you. She entertained you at Mockadee. She bought you coffees that she couldn't afford. <laughs> Countless coffees that she couldn't afford. She always was offering coffee without being able to afford it. Um, and, um, you know, she had that wonderful attitude of care and love for those around her. Yeah, and she treated everybody the same as well, didn't she? There's no airs and graces. Everyone to her was the same. Yeah, we were all subject to God's grace and mercy. Yeah, we were all in the same boat. Celine knew it, and there were no airs and graces she treated. And she, had, she sometimes would challenge people in authority quite effectively as I think we sort of heard before, you know, she, 
she was able to do that. And so there we have those amazing qualities um, of faith, joy, and love, and that she shone like a diamond. Uh, and I'm, now I'm going to I'm going to leave with a really frivolous story. Rose encouraged me to share this, <laughs> and it is for, and it, for me it sort of does sum up Selena a little bit. So many years ago, before she had a hemorrhage, we were, the two families we were down the Chittendons and the Peplos. They called themselves the Chitlows, didn't you? And then you used to play silly little games involving farms and building farms and all that. And we were down the New Forest in my parents' cottage, which has a lovely big bathroom, uh, and uh, and it has a full-size bath, uh, cast iron with the sort of uh, lion's feet and, and whatever. But the sad thing about this bathroom, it has a rather dodgy lock, basically. So the lock doesn't slide across. Yeah, you try and sort of slide it across, and it, it sort of sticks and doesn't go across fully. Uh, and so um, there was a rather <laughs> sad, dramatic encounter in which I didn't realise this, but I went to the bathroom in order to, and I was quite desperate, and I burst into the bathroom, and Celine was just in the process of getting out of the bath. <laughs> so, you know, and, and it, it's acutely embarrassing, isn't it, when that happens? Do you mean, and, and you both freeze, sort of rabbits caught in the headlights, as it were. And then both of you are thinking, well, what are we going to do? <laughs> Who's going to do what? Who's going to make the, you know, do the first? And then, and then what Celine does, uh, she, she just stood up and posed like Venus de Milo. <laughs> it's like that. I tell you, and, and, she, just, and she just held the pose. And I just fell about laughing. <laughs> and she just turned an embarrassing situation into something just totally hilarious. And I just laughed and laughed as I closed the door. And I did beat a hasty retreat, you'll be pleased to learn. But I did it laughing my head off. And that just sort of sums her up, doesn't it? Her ability to improvise, her sense of humour, her sort of sharpness. Yeah, her sense of theatre, yeah, all of that was summed up in that little story. And so that, for me, was just a priceless memory. And so, sorry, forgive me, but one of my permanent memories <laughs> will always be Celine <laughs> holding the pose. Okay, let's, um, let's pray and, and, and just thank... Thank God for Celine and her uniqueness and her loveness. Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you so much for Celine. Uh, we want to thank you for how special she was in our lives. And we've heard so much uh, reflection about how important she was to us. And Lord, now we just want to commit her to your care. We want her to commit her to your love. Her chapter with us is closed and a new chapter begins in heaven. C.S. Lewis said that it's like term ending, I think a reference was made there by Rose, term ending and, and the summer holidays have begun. And for her, the summer holidays have begun. She's done a bit. She's in a sense endured uh, everything that was thrown at her with great graciousness and great aplomb, as it were. Uh, and now she's with you. And Lord, we committed to your loving mercy. And uh, Lord, my prayer is also for all of us here as, as we mourn, as we uh, feel the loss so acutely, Lord, that you would comfort us by the power of your Holy Spirit uh, and that you would be with us as we continue to mourn.
such a dear friend and family member. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, we are going to worship. Have one final worship hymn. It's a stirring hymn of faith. And then Matt's just going to come up and give us a few directions. <laughs>